All right. Well, we've been in a series on the book of Daniel, so if you want to turn to the book of Daniel to get there. If you remember last week, we had to split last week's sermon in two parts, and so we're in the second part, and the title of last week's message was The Apprentice Babylon Edition. I mean, remembers before he was our president, his famous TV show, The Apprentice, Donald Trump's TV show, The Apprentice. Remember what that was about? It was executives, right, in training, and they had to do different missions or different tasks or projects to try to prove themselves. And if they didn't do well, then the way they got voted off is his famous, you're fired, right? I can't, I can't do Donald Trump, but that was the deal. And, and it's really kind of phenomenal how reality TV has become the norm now. It's supposed ordinary people put in high stress abnormal situations and creates them or cause them to do very abnormal things. That's the premise. Although, like I said before, I suspect they probably weren't really normal people to begin with before they went on the show because I don't know if I would ever put myself in that position on national TV, but um, maybe I'm not normal. But they watch, we watch them try to find a job to work for a multimillionaire and to be a superstar in corporate America. And so they apply on The Apprentice. Donald Trump could pick you to be his next protege, or you could be fired. You never know. Well, the story we pick up on part two today from last week's sermon, Daniel chapter one, just like the reality show, Nebuchadnezzar the king. There's been several kings, and Nebuchadnezzar comes along after the others have, have uh, died. And he conquered the kingdom of Judah. He destroyed Jerusalem. So God's uh, people, their, their home city, their home place, destroys it. He took, takes a treasure from their temple and took all their strongest and brightest young men with him back to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. So it's the best of the best of the kingdom are put in the palace. And uh, it's really the apprentice show, the apprentice reality show, only the Babylon edition. Uh, boys, if I can get you, come here. Colton, Caleb, Devin, just, we did this before, just a visual. Hey, Bryce, can I borrow you and, and Braden for a minute? Let's get the boys up here, the young men up and coming. You know, and, and so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's putting them in the same environment, feeding the same foods, and whoever rises to the top, right, but they're eating the choice of the king's table, he's, he's looking them over, and maybe they're arm wrestling each other and challenging each other to, to duels or whatever to prove themselves, but... He's choosing, but these are young men he's captured from their homeland and taken the best of them. And his strategy is, if, if I say, Braden here, check out these muscles, show them Braden. I mean, this guy stands like this all the time, you know. He's just ready for, he's ready to jump off the ring and do a suplex or whatever they call it onto somebody, whatever, triple, whatever, whatever. But... You know, so he says, man, obviously this guy, he's, he might be swollen the rest, but he is, he is definitely smart, and he's handsome, and he's strong. And so this is the guy I'm going to use when we conquer the next kingdom. He's going to be the one to lead those folks. And he's picking his leaders and, and just, just needs a little bit more um, confidence. You know, that's it. And he's there. And, and so that's, that's the deal. And so it's really like the Apprentice reality show. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that. There's just one problem. Because King Nebuchadnezzar is just chases every uh, idol and wants to be a god himself, uh, and talks about those who have the spirit of the gods, um, the food that he serves on his table is you know, meat offered up to a god, another god, and, and that's against god, the rules God has given for his people. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego it puts them in a precarious place because they, they will be sinning if they eat that food. And so, the problem is, in this reality show, the prize is a high position working for the king, leading the captive kingdoms, but the stakes are high. It's not getting the girl like The Bachelor. It's not recording a CD like American Idol. It's not winning a million dollars like any other show. The stakes are much higher. This king gets mad. He takes your head off and maybe kills the people that he captured along with you, but it's you can't just displease, displease this king and get voted off of Babylon. So it's a big deal. This king has a temper. 
It's one contest you don't want to lose. This is all kind of a recap from last week before we get in. But if this was today, there'd be TV cameras following these captives trying to watch who's emerging. And God had given these strict instructions. You can't eat this, this meat. And so, no doubt, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's been very intentional in trying to break down the very basis of their belief in their God, wanting them to break the rules and break them so that they fall in line with his beliefs. And they've got all these other people that have been captured from other kingdoms. The other guys, they're eating the food. It's good food. They're, they're glad they're getting treated better than their countrymen. And they're trying to represent. It's like the Olympics. So they want their flag to be raised up. And, and they're the ones that you know, lead, lead under this, uh, captain, uh, this, their captors. And so it's kind of like every parent hears. Everybody's doing it. Why don't I just do it? I mean, God understands I've been taken captive, right? God understands that my boss will fire me if I don't go along with all the dirty jokes in the office. And if I don't get along with the team, they'll all ostracize me and they'll fire me. God understands that, right? I mean, I'm, in, it's not, I'm not the leader. And so I need to be careful. I need to appease. Well, if I'm going to climb the ladder in this job, I better get used to not, uh, not preaching the truth. I better get used to just kind of fitting in. And as Christians, we, we may not be worried about getting our head chopped off, by our boss, you know, by those that we're, we feel like we're in captivity under, but the same pressures are there, and sometimes we make the same mistakes that these others in other kingdoms do. They just bow down to the idol in front of them. And so Nebuchadnezzar's doing this, and, and I'm concerned. There appears to be a pattern, not just in this generation. I'm 43 years old, so I guess I'm at that age I can start saying now, those younger generations, right? Those younger generations, but it's not. You know, historically, in the 200 years in the United States, we have been gradually, step by step, moving away from God. And so I'm afraid we seem to be allowing our culture and the people around us to redefine right and wrong. Instead of solid, unchanging standards in the Bible, we instead subject the shifting winds of our culture to the Bible. You know, when I was in Bible school in, in the mid-90s, and le- or I started early, left for a while, joined the Navy, came back, so early and late 90s, you know, the seeker-friendly movement was big debate on campus. What about these seeker-friendly churches? And you know, you couldn't label them all the same. Seeker-friendly in one church just meant that we don't shun people because they walked in, in shorts and they didn't know any better. Because they didn't grow up in church, and so we welcomed them. Seeker-friendly in another church says we can't talk about hell, that's too controversial. And, and so, you know, there, there's been this controversy about are we are we, are we just doing what everybody else is doing to make them comfortable? Are we standing for truth? When you do what everybody else is doing, does it make it right? If not right, does it make it acceptable? If not acceptable, does it make it not really sin? And that's where the progression comes. Last night we talked about in the partnership class why we stand so firm on our, uh, on our, on our 16 fundamental truths. Not because, just because we are an Assembly of God church, but because I believe those truths. And when you bend on one, before you know it, you introduce some slack there to introduce other beliefs that can be harmful. And we talked about examples of churches in our own area who have dissolved, who've had horrible things happen because they may have started out with, and this is a true story, start out with, um, grace means that you can go ahead and sin because it's already covered. And, and then it becomes, there's no real heaven and hell. That's talking about this is really heaven and hell has been, hell is really, uh, what Satan tries to inject on us, but there's no afterwards anything. And that really, in a church, that really went that way. And then it became where, you know, there's no second coming of Christ. We are Christ, the second coming. And, and it just leads down a path before you know it. You've, you've gone completely away from the Word of God. It's no gospel at all. So we have to hold fast. And some would say, I know, Pastor, you just need to face the facts. The world has changed. Things are different in the job place now. You're putting expectations on Christians, and you're out of touch. It was just six short years ago that I was at Walmart corporate office for seven and a half years. I know what the workplace is like. I know that with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can trust him, and he can shut the mouth of the lions when you decide you're going to pray for somebody with cancer in your office out loud over the pod walls where people can hear you. When, when God tells you to get a prayer group together, and there ends up being 70 people outside of a building, and you're, you're supposed to go through approval process to have a prayer group, God will protect you, and he'll grow that that uh, ministry that he's caused you to start. And um, Ronnie Swadley, you know, was in that group, one of the other pastors in our area. 
For Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a lot is on the line. And from their story, we learn how to respond when everyone's doing it. And we learn God's response when we stand for what's right. So the last part of recap from last week, a long recap I know, is there's, there's a way to respond to everyone's doing it. Two ways. Make the decision of what you're going to do before the temptation is there. I already know before I have a situation where I'm being tempted to cheat on my spouse, I already know I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. I made the decision. It's in stone. It's set in stone. I'm not going to go there. To the point that I've already decided that should I recognize there is a temptation before me and there is, there is a chance for me to weaken, I will literally physically run. I will literally physically run. I decide no matter how silly it may look, how may awkward it may be for that other person who may not have thought the same thing I did, but I was worried about where it might be heading, they'll just take off and run the other way. It, it's, it, it may sound silly, but you know how comforting it is to know that I've got a plan in place. I got a plan in place. All I got to do is physically turn around and run. You, you cannot have anything happen if you're physically there over here on one side of town and you within a half hour have made it, you know, 10 miles to the other side of town. There's just no way that anything can happen, right, in the natural. So you have a plan in place. Make the decision before you get there. Be radical about it. You know, when I, when I worked for a place called uh, CarFi in Springfield, it was a it was a, just looked like a car audio place, but they had a business that was really international. They did um, high-end uh, exotic sports cars. They did custom stereo systems in them, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, you name it, limos. Um, I worked for uh, Alltel Cellular, and they used to do permanent installs in cars, and they decided they were going to quit doing that, but they had all these customers. They, they had a year warranty on the work they'd done, and I was a technician they installed. Well, they knew they'd make customers mad, so what they did is they contracted with CarFi, for me to go there, basically I was getting laid off, but they came to me, they laid off the other technicians, they came to me early and said, hey, keep this quiet, but we're going to give you a severance, and you're going to get a pay raise going to CarFi. It's already set up. If you want the job, you'll get a free phone and everything. They took care of me. I went over there, and I'm getting to work on Lamborghinis. I'm getting to work on all these great, uh, awesome uh, vehicles and, and all this stuff, but there's a hitch. It was, a, uh, it was the man's crew over there. It was all men worked in that place. And right next to it was a, a place of ill repute, I'll just say. It was an entertainment place that, that degraded women, and that's where they wanted to have the business meetings. That's where they actually had the mandatory meetings. And that, even though at times when I was there was a time when I was kind of wavering, I was, I was trying to come back and get my right, life right with the Lord, I just couldn't feel fire. I finally said, listen, you'll either have to fire me or you'll have to catch me up on the meeting afterwards. I'm not going there. You have to make the decision before you're in the temptation. Second, keep the right attitude. We talked about this last week. We see resolving, doing the. Sometimes we see uh, having resolve because it says Daniel had resolve. That means he made the decision, strong decision uh, first. But we, we look at it as a crusade. It's like when I came in to the first service, we got ready to start. There was nobody on this side of the room, everybody was on the right side, and I was thinking right wingers. Some of you are more extreme right, and some of you are not extreme right. But we've got this right and left thing, and Christians have decided they are right-wingers because they oppose the left. The problem is, is we're not on, on a political crusade. The problem is our guidepost is not the politics of some politician just because he professes to be a believer. Your, your political stance is the scriptures. You're an alien passing through. This is not your land. You pray for the leaders. You vote as God leads you, but when it comes to slandering another candidate or the other side, you're out of line and you're out of the Word of God. You, you, just simple fact. You want to argue with me about it, it's fine, but you need to read your Bible because when you start slandering and, and talking nasty about other side, you're sinning. You're sinning and you're putting your, you're putting your relationship with God on the line. You're toying with fire. Simple fact. It's not acting like Jesus. I could keep going. Until finally we, we get it. I don't know. I'm probably not talking to anybody here that has a problem. But you get on Facebook, you get on otherwise, and you start talking nasty about the left side, you're not doing it for Jesus, and you're not representing him anymore. I mean, you are. You're doing damage in, in, in name only, but you're not doing what Jesus would have. Jesus had no problem telling the political leaders where they're wrong, but he had compassion and love for them too. The people that he got the maddest at were the people who were turning the temple into the money changers, right? That's the ones he got physical with. He was ready to go to Duke City. Okay, let's move on because um, we're already, I need to get on to second part. 
Last week was so good, I just wanted to go over again. The, see, Daniel, it wasn't an act of rebellion because he asked permission to do a 10-day test. Because he knew that the, the guy that was in charge, the king would take his head off if they started looking worse than the rest. And he had respect and compassion for this guy who was his captor, who in, really was their enemy. But he took compassion on him and said, let us try, and he let us. And verse 9 says God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But here is the thing. When you do right with the right attitude, God begins to work on the details. If you'll do it God's way, he will work out the details. You don't have to beat people over the head and convince them to do things God's way. You pray for them. You do things with the same attitude that Jesus would have done it with. And God will move on their hearts and give you favor. When I do right... When I do the right thing with the right attitude, there's seven things that God does. And here's where we get into today, finally, after all this time. So the, the whole premise is, when you do things God's way, when you do it the right thing with the right, with the right attitude, here's seven things that God does. Number one, God works with me. It's not coincidence. When you start doing right, things seem to go better. When you stand for right, when everyone else is doing wrong, you find favor in the most unexpected places. Recently, I had someone who was a contractor, came on a project, and they were helping us out, but then someone on the project broke something, and he came out all fired up because it wasn't even his thing that got broken, but he's, he's passionate about helping us, and he's feeling like we're messing up, and he's, he comes out and just hits me hard on it. What are you doing? It made the assumption I had done it. And he just rah, 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 goes on, on, on. And I, I know, we're doing our best. Yeah, I'm sorry it happened. We'll fix it. You tell us what we need to do, we'll fix it. You know, I don't expect you to get in here and do it, but um, just tell me. Well, later, someone let on to him that it wasn't even me that did it. And here he had ran and raved and he left. And he came back and he just seemed puzzled. He said, why did you take the blame for that? I said, because I'm the leader. And, and it's my responsibility. But you didn't do it. I said, in effect, I did. Because I'm leading these people and I love them and they're, they're, we're all in this together. And it don't matter. It's already done. I don't care about what, how it happened. We've got to find the solution. And, and that's the thing. That's not any bragging to me. That was the Holy Spirit at the moment. Because the first one he lit into me, it fired me up. It fired me up and I wanted to fire back. I said, I didn't even do this. And the Lord just calmed me down. And I didn't even think about it like I'm trying to be a leader. I didn't think about like, oh, this is going to be a really good sermon illustration later. It was just in the heat of the moment, tired, with it's dusty out there because it wasn't rain at the time, and, and I'm tired, and I just want to sit down, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and all these things are playing into this, and I got this guy being unfair to me, just badgering me for something I didn't even do. And it reached him because he doesn't see that. On job sites, he sees guys all pointing the finger who... Who did that? Who did that? That's your fault. It's like a game. You see, you do things God's way. He works with you. He softens the heart. It's like, like when he gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego favor with the king's man for them to do the 10-day test. God works with those who choose to do right. You'll find his blessing, his approval, and favor when you refuse to follow the crowd instead of choose to stand for right. It, it's in the marriage relationship. If you knowingly, because you just feel agitated and you got other things going on, take it out on your spouse or, or just fight with them because you want them to be different or whatever and you choose the wrong attitude with them, God's favor, you begin to lose that and it carries over into your work and other things. All, things, all of a sudden everything seems to be going wrong for you because you're choosing, knowing the truth of God's word, to go against it. In verse 10, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. He's not speaking figuratively. He's telling the truth. The king isn't the most reasonable guy. He wants to grant Daniel's request, but it's pretty, a pretty significant problem. And there is something about a man who is walking in the path of righteousness, God's righteousness. E even people who don't believe and your God recognize there's something different about you and they just kind of want to they kind of want to go along for the ride to see what happens you know and so you know this guy's curiosity is peaked he's like there's something different about these four guys there's something different about their belief in their God I mean I see people who believe in God's all the time including my king who wants to be one 
And these guys just seem like they're solid in some way. There's something rock foundational solid about them. I think I just want to see what happens. Verse 11, Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, and Azariah, their real names, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Give us salad and water, lemon water, preferably for me. In my book, this takes a lot of courage. I mean, to eat only vegetables for 10 days because they're not sitting around doing nothing. They're getting tested physically and mentally and everything else. They're under high stress. This is high stakes. It's the Apprentice Babylon edition, and they know that the selection process is already started. The second thing God does is he gives me wisdom. This is highly underrated these days, wisdom. Humility and the word wisdom doesn't get used a lot anymore and I have concern for that. Wisdom, remember anybody you know my examples, they're not mine, they, they didn't come from me, but the difference between being smart and being wise, the example I gave is being smart is you burned your hand on the stove and so you say I'm not going to do that again and you don't. That's being smart. I got burned once, I'm not going to get burned twice. Being wise is seeing somebody else burn their hand and assume how terrible it must be by the look on their face and saying I will never put my hand on the stove. That's being wise. Being wise is learning from other people's mistakes and not doing them. Being smart is learning from your own and not doing them again. But wisdom, because the wisdom comes from God. See, God knows the mistakes we could make, and so his wisdom is what we want because he's trying to help us keep from getting burnt. So God gives me wisdom. Daniel knew what to say in response to, the, to a difficult question. His answer was perfect. No problem. Let's just try this out for 10 days and see what happens. Wisdom is the ability to make right decisions. Wisdom is knowing what to say in a difficult circumstance. Wisdom is good ideas from God. Wisdom is seeing what others don't see. And wisdom is what God gives you when you stand for righteousness. So not only does God give you wisdom, number three, God gives you boldness. We talked about this last night, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. No bones about it. It's an Acts account. It happens. It happens today. Um, those who doubt it, it's because they have not experienced that and it's scary to them or whatever the reasoning is. I've been there. Everybody knows I was a disbeliever in it before because the people I saw doing it were not exactly the nicest people in the church. And then God said, just because you see the fake doesn't mean that the real doesn't exist. Just because you've seen a church that went bonkers and did things out of other reasons than Holy Spirit doing it doesn't mean that the real thing doesn't exist. The Acts account, there's plenty of um, uh, accounted for, I mean news media has covered uh, revivals where they've seen miracles happening, you know miracles happen in Brownsville, others, but everyone is going to eat the meat from the king's table. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benno are going to have water and vegetables for a 10-day trial period. And is there really going to be a difference in 10 days? We talked about this a little bit last time. If you've ever done a diet, you know that usually it takes a couple months for you to start seeing results. You know, if you've, you've not been healthy for a long time, it takes a while. So 10 days is not reasonable in the natural, but this isn't a story of a natural diet. Of just some guys wanting to eat salad for 10 days and expecting. Because they were going to have to be able to see a physical improvement over the other guys while they're eating all the proteins. Daniel says, give us 10 days. You'll, see, you'll be able to see how God has honored us. How could he be so bold? Daniel knew if I do what was right, I'll pass this. His life and the guys he's leading, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their lives are on the line. And Daniel has confidence. He has boldness that God has given him. I've heard a lot of people resolve to do something and not follow through. We, we experienced that. And when I worked at Walmart corporate office, I experienced it in the church. Hey, pastor, I'm going to help with this. And then you never hear from them again. Pastor, I'm going to do this in the church. I feel God's leading me this way. And they never mention it again. There's a lot of times people say they resolve to do something and not follow through. But your decisions have to make it to your actions. Your decisions have to make it to your actions. When you begin acting on the right decision with the right attitude, God gives you the boldness to follow through. Boldness is the businessman who stands for integrity in a, in a business that is 
warped around, around falsehood. Boldness is the young adult who refuses to drink and party, although, although that's all what the people do that they work with. Boldness is the courage to speak up and shut down a gossip. Boldness is a, the courage to proclaim your faith when all around you people are giving in. After all, everybody else is doing it, you hear. Boldness says no. Boldness confronts wrong. Boldness believes in right and acts on that right. Boldness says everyone else may be doing it, but not me. And I believe it's time for bold Christ followers, men and women and families and students say, I don't care if everyone else is doing it. I want to live for the one true king. I want to know what it's like to be in the high position of authority from the power of God, not King Nebuchadnezzar, not the kings of this world. I won't allow others to dictate my behavior. I will stand for what's right. I, I just can't stand anymore for Christians to get so excited over what the latest thing the president or whoever it is at the time has said or done, excited or angry, but you don't see the same kind of fervor and expression and excitement and passion about the true king of kings and lord of lords. The minute Christians start talking more and more excited and more passionate and more fervent about the ways of the Lord over politics, I'm going to jump and shout. I'm going to tell you. Because somehow it's just slipped. Social media has facilitated and all the fear-mongering in the news and all the fake news and all the stuff. We don't even know truth at the end of our nose anymore because we just buy into anything that we read or are told. I will not allow others to dictate my behavior. I will stand for right. So he agreed to this, verse 14, and tested them for 10 days. There's no reason for this guy to agree. He's got everything to lose, and in his mind, nothing to gain. The king's official listens to the, the, the kid saying, don't worry about your head being cut off, just trust me. It's like, reminds me when you're the kid on the bicycle on the ramp, you know? That, that's being held up by like pencils or something, you know. I did it before, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about getting impaled by your handlebars, just do it, man. Don't worry about your head getting cut off, trust me. And here's the thing, I'm going to repeat one. Number four, same as number one, God works with me. It comes back circle. When you're in the heat of it, when you're in the middle of it, God comes back and works with you again. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't give you a little help at the beginning, shoves you off, say, okay, have fun, my child. He's there. I know it's the same point as number one, but it's such a good one. When you stand alone, you're not standing alone. The God of heaven, the creator of the world, the one who loves you and died for you, stands with you. Always. That's why I get fired up on that song. Uh, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side and I feel it it's pumping up inside the one who reigns forever I feel myself lift off the ground right because I'm heading to the clouds I'm getting ready to grab the sword the supernatural sword he's gonna get me we're gonna go kick the devil's tail finally you know and show him what who's giving the business end of it right the God of angel armies is always by my side you know we don't become angels false doctrine angels are created beings they don't have the ability to <coughs> Be, be saved like we do. They don't have that. Your loved ones, don't wish them to become angels. You're wishing less for them. It, it, it's, it's, I never would say that at a funeral, but I hear that all the time. Like, well, they got their angel wings. No, they didn't. If they knew Christ, they became, they, they're going to rule and reign with him. The angels are subject to him, them. Don't lessen their, their position in the kingdom by, by making them an angel. God works with me. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better, nourished than any of the younger men who ate the royal food. If you're here when I talked about angels more, one of my favorite things is that it says they're curious about our relationship with God. The Bible says that they're curious. It's like they can't understand how God has this crazy love for us. and creates us and they just, it's just, they watch us. We talked about, they, they, they literally are probably in this room, there's angels among us that we can't see, they just thought they'd show up this morning and just see if they can figure out a little more of this, you know? It's just crazy how this God that we, we, we know to be so great and everything, he's created these beings that seem to just mess up all the time, right? But he loves them anyway. 
Verse 16, the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead and the water, of course, and it worked. God honored Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they obeyed him. And after eating only vegetables for 10 days, they looked better, more nourished, and more fit than the rest. When I stand for right, what's right, and I refuse to give in, number five, God honors my obedience. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. You can give all your money away to charity. You can work your tail off for every charity there is. You can run around trying to do every feel-good thing you can. But to obey God's word is better than your sacrifices. The guy who just obeys his word is doing far better than you are in all your efforts to sacrifice. Do you get this? When, it, when we stand alone against culture, and remember, we aren't, we aren't standing alone. We aren't sacrificing we're not giving anything up. We're gaining something, a reward from God. He stands with us. As parents, we do this. We honor obedience. We, we reward on an obedience basis. My children do not get an allowance where they just get money because they're just in the family. They do chores. They get commission. And so they're paid on commission. And so they understand that they're rewarded for their obedience to what we've asked them to do. And students, if you raise... If you get an allowance or you get commission, if you obey your parents, I guarantee you that carries more weight in you getting that car or whatever big thing you've asked for than if you're disobeying. Blessings follow obedience. It works with parents. It's God's way. And God blesses and honors obedience. Verse 17, listen to this. You can read this in your, in your word here. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God gave them that understanding. Man, for a guy who wasn't really book smart and didn't make the best grades until my senior year of high school and I got scared of college, just for God to give me knowledge and understanding of things that people have to work at, it'd be awesome. I didn't like those people in school that just didn't seem like they had to work at knowing things. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Now, this isn't quite carrying the weight until you really put this back into the overall context. Think of the Olympics, right? You've got all these nations represented. Who's at the Olympics representing their nation? The best. You have tryouts. You have to work your way up there. They are being compared to the best of everyone that's been conquered, the best of the best, and they are the best of the best. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Everyone. These guys stand against a the crowd. They do what's right in spite of what everyone else is doing. And... They win. They're the wisest, the smartest, and filled with wisdom and understanding. And that's what happens. When I do right, number six, when I do right, number six, God gives me the victory. And this is something we need infused in the life of believers today because I wonder sometimes, by the way I see believers carry themselves, are you living in victory? You, you first ten minutes, all I've heard is all the negative stuff that's happening in your life, and I don't hear anything positive. Are, are you living in victory with God because... You know, it changes things. Jennifer and I were so happy after we went away for our anniversary for a day and a half and, and because we'd had, uh, the night before you know this, our, our minivan, the transmission went out. And we get to Branson and the car, which we've had no problems with, for, uh, overheats like we're stuck at a gas station. We only have a couple days without kids and we're blessed with a little money to go away and we, we don't even have a hotel yet. We were getting ready to go get one because it was the last minute. And if that had happened five, six years ago, Five years, she says, last week. No, I mean, if that happened five years ago, I would have been beside myself out there sweating, trying to figure out I'm going to fix this thing, and I don't care if it takes us the whole time because my OCD would have kicked in, and it's like fixing this car, and everything else is off. And we went in to find us a cold drink at the gas station, and I called the car rental place. I said, get one on hold for me just in case. I said, we're going to have fun no matter what. So I don't care what it costs us. We're having fun, right? That's not normal for me. You can ask her. That is not normal. That is the Holy Spirit has been doing a work and has been chiseled away. And so when you, when you do things God's way, 
He gives you the victory. You live in victory daily. You know that the devil can't steal from you what God's trying to bless you with. You just have to carry on and wait for the next surprise. And the next surprise was it didn't act up the rest of the time. We didn't have to rent a car. We just w sat there, had a little time to talk, and we went on and went, the rest went in without a hitch. And it's overheating now off and on, but that's, that's the testimony is it carried us through that time we needed the most. We prayed. God answered. He gave us the victory. I say it to people all the time, the righteous wins. It's not win every battle, but it win, we win the war. And that's the important thing. All we need to know is we win the war. Do what's right, honor God, obey God, stand against culture, refuse to give in to everyone who's doing it, and what will God do? He will give you the victory. Verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Wait a minute. I thought he got the victory. He's, a cap, he's held captive, right? He's going through all this, but he's still not in his homeland, and it says he remains there. I thought he got the victory. Shouldn't this verse say, and the king let Daniel and his buddies go back to their homeland and maybe gave him money to rebuild it since he tore it down? That's not what happened. Daniel was there for 70 years. Daniel understood his assignment. He faithfully served even though his definition of victory might have been different than God's. It's like the person who prayed that that the divorce wouldn't happen. They felt like God didn't answer the prayers because it went through. And they couldn't resolve with their spouse and now they're left alone. They're dealing with the loneliness and the hurt and, the, and, and being scarred. And God didn't cause a divorce, but God could turn things, everything new. He could, beauty for ashes. When I stand for what's right, when I refuse to let everyone get me to doing what everyone's doing or to govern my behavior. Number seven and the final one as we get ready to close, God gives me the courage to endure. God gives me the courage to endure. It's not a woe is me, life is rough, but I'm getting by. How are you doing today? Fair to Midland. Like Dave Ramsey says, the little guy just can't get ahead. It's always those people. You're always going to have a car payment. Little guys can't get ahead. You know, recently I had a family member tell me, he said, you know, I, I finally, I have to admit, you just do things different. They were trying to convince me I need to do this and this, and, you know, a vehicle situation. I said, you know, I'm just kind of waiting on God to work it out because um, I'm not going to run to a shop and overpay them. I believe God's going to work it out. And God started working it out. And it's not that I'm right and they're wrong. It's just I do, that's the way I do things. Lord, I know that if I get in a hurry and get in a tizzy about stuff and jump, you know, when devils try to make me jump, <coughs> Then I'll make a mistake financially or otherwise, and it costs me more. Money, relationship-wise, whatever, it costs me more. God gives me the courage to endure. We have to live in this world. We don't have a choice. But when we stand against the shifting tide of culture, when we do what's right, God gives us the courage to endure, to stand and to represent him, enduring courage. One of the most proud moments of my natural life, apart from the kingdom of God, is a very short time I was in the Navy, when I found out I was going home, I had shipped my sea bag with most of my stuff home and I had a motorcycle and I was going to ride from San Diego, California to Rogers, Arkansas in two days because it was Pastor Appreciation Day and I was going to surprise my dad. They didn't know I was coming home. I was going to ride past Grand Canyon, have a good time of it. But, but I was packed up and it was just before I was going to change out of my dress whites because it was warm weather. And you know, it's a Cracker Jack outfit. You know what I'm talking about, sailor suit. And I was down there. And, you know, in the morning and the evening, they do the, the flat raising of the flag. And you have the anthem. And everybody stops. And they say, no matter what you're doing, a building or otherwise, you turn and you face where the flag is, right? And Mark and Joe in the Air Force. And it was one of the proudest moments because the sun was just coming up. And that goes off. And it was my last time. I turned around before I headed in to change and saluted and stood there for that anthem. And now I think about that. It just, you never feel like you're standing taller the pride for what you're doing for yourself and for your country and for your family, it's just, it's overwhelming. It's just one of the most overwhelming things, especially with the sun rising right behind the flag and you got the ocean out behind, you know? It's just picturesque. But I think about the fact of who I represent as a believer and the excitement I feel in worship doesn't even compare to that moment standing saluting the flag. You know, we are given these flags, and I respect and honor, and I, 
I, I didn't have to fight physically for that, but I would have. But this flag here, although man-made, there's nothing in the Bible that says here's what the Christian flag looks like. But this gets me charged up. I stand and we worship and I just feel like it's just the anthem of being in God's army. The, the idea of being the, uh, part of the angel army, I mean not being an angel, but being with the angel armies, being, the, being part of the greatest kingdom that ever was and ever will be. And to be called his child, to be a, a royal priesthood. It's just, it's just if, you, if you don't ever take time to stop and take a breath and think about who you are in Christ, that's, that's part of why you might be missing out in worship. Part of why you may not feel so excited. Because you let the devil lie to you and your shoulders slump because, because the devil makes you think that you'll never be that kind of Christian. Because you're still thinking of this church like an institution and not a body of people, a living, breathing organism that God has created to function like a living body. That's why, like, I'm harping on it lately, that's what I'm going to tell you, that's why people can leave a church and not tell anybody where they're going or why they went or not feel they owe an explanation because it was an institution, not a family to them. They never let it be a family of God to them. Because who would do that to their friends, right? Who would just leave and not give any explanation? How hurtful. But we are part of a royal priesthood. We will be one body of believers all of eternity celebrating and worshiping with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All the junk you see on TV, all the news, all that, done, gone, nevermore. And so people may think, I hey, pie in the sky, whatever. But when I'm worshiping, I visualize myself with sword in hand, riding, I, I probably won't get the white horse. That's only for Jesus. And... Uh, was it y'all's first Sunday that I was talking about that? Where was it your first Sunday there and talked about? I joked about Jesus having tattoos. Okay, I have to be careful. I get I get carried away. <laughs> I, I tease people because yes, I have some tattoos and and maybe I just wouldn't have them if I had, could redo it. But and I always tell young people don't get them. You can't undo it very easily, so don't do them. But I'll tell you, it says that he has written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Is it with Sharpie or is it tattooed? That's what I want to know. Nobody can seem to answer that. Is it permanent or is it, does he wipe it off and rewrite it every day? I just don't know. But it's written on his thigh. And I know we're not supposed to write on our skin, right, with permanent anything. I mean, old-time Pentecost says, you're going to hell, you do that, right? So it messes with me. Jesus has a tattoo or a stick on something. I don't know. All right. We're, we're going to close. But often we find ourselves, and some today may, find yourselves captive to the argument everybody's doing it. And you're thinking, this is so silly. That was my childhood days. I don't, I don't bow to peer pressure. Oh, really? Oh, really? I'm, I'm deciding whether to do this, B. Pick on my parents a little bit. This is just for fun, and I'm totally supportive of what they're doing. But my mom posted a picture. She was so excited because she was with the Gaithers, Southern Gospel Gaithers. She was standing with Bill and then with Gloria Gaither. And I joke because Bill had his arm. Was that Bill Gaither? Is he fat? Okay. See, I don't know if the Gaithers are there. He has his arm around her. I was like, woo, if my dad saw that. I asked, did he punch his lights out? You know? Because <laughs> he, you know, and I was joking about that, but she was never more excited. She said her dream to get her picture with the, the Gaithers, right? Now, my parents have a singing at their house often, and everybody out there is close to their age. And everybody loves the Gaithers. Peer pressure, whether you know it or not, exists in church. And they're awesome. And yes, I know. And the, and the music, I know. There's anointing there. And I get that. But we follow things, right? We follow people and we follow groups and we do that. It's human nature. No matter what age group you are, you have somebody you follow. If you're younger, it's going to be whoever's the thing now. And my group was like Carmen, you know, Amy Grant. Uh, not mine. Carmen was mine. But Petra, you know, and, and then every generation complains about the generations before their music and all that. And so peer pressure. So every one of us have found ourselves captive to the argument everyone's doing it. We just didn't think of it that way. We didn't realize we bowed to it, but we just accepted it because that's what our age does. That's what our group does. But then there's things that are not like the Gaithers, which are wholesome and just fine, but it can turn into stupid things. We find ourselves sinning against God because we want to fit in 
with the culture around us. You let culture and your decisions affect you instead of acting on what's right. I have met, I, ha, I know people very close to me that I've known for decades who I have recently heard them say things in reference to their children where their, their son has real feminine traits going on. But then again, I know some of the influences they've had from school, no fault of their parents. But instead of their parents who are Bible-believing Christians sticking the Word of God and saying homosexuality is definitely pre, uh, God's against it, it's in His Word, but so is he about fornication and everything else that we don't pick on. We pick on that, on that homosexuality, but it is against it. So instead of us saying, hey, yeah, you know what? God is against that, and I pray for my child, and I hope that they turn from that, and I also hope that I can turn from my gossip or my lying. Instead of doing that, they start saying, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, it is odd. I mean, I can't really figure out why they just all of a sudden want to go that way. The pressure. Do you think that would have been as apt to happen 10, 15 years ago? For that same conversation? No, I, I was never around any Christians I heard talking like that. But a movement happened. And everybody else is doing it, and you're a hater if you don't. And so the peer pressure, the peer pressure has come on. The peer pressure has come on. And so we change what we believe God's word. It happens in denominations. Our church is not having people baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking tongues all the time. So it would be very easy for us to just adopt and say, well, those gifts ceased. They ceased a long time ago. And we just had it wrong. So everybody that does that is out of line. It happens. So at the end of the day, at the end of today, what God has prepared for our hearts is for us to know that when we do what is right with the right attitude, there are seven things that God does. Number one, God works with me. Number two, God gives me wisdom. Number three, God gives you boldness. Number four, God works with you again. Number five, God honors my obedience. Number six, God gives me the victory. And number seven, God gives me the courage to endure. And you can love people who are wrong and love them and not agree with their wrongness. God gives me the courage to endure in this culture when everything's trying to get turned upside down. Amen. I've been praying that God doesn't send me people like me. God sends people who have the same desire to follow him that I have. We need people who are sold out, totally, whatever it takes to see the lost one. That church is not an institution. It's not a thing on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night. It's all the people and the names of the people in here and, and what goes on in their life. And when they have a sick child, I'm there for them. And, and when they've lost their job, I'm there for them. And, and when they all of a sudden aren't showing up in church, I'm texting them, hey, where are you at today? I'm worried. Is everything okay? You just gone for today? What's going on? And, and all those things, we become a body of believers because we are in practice right now for an eternity of being a family. And God will give you the courage to endure. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that when we do the right things with the right attitude, Lord, as an example we've seen with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only do we do the right thing, we stand for what's right. We don't bend to the pressure of those who are, are in authority over us to go against you. While we respect the authority, we see that, that, that not only did Daniel make the decision, he resolved before the the temptation that he would not bend on those things God you had told him not to do but he would do it with the right attitude he wouldn't bow up his shoulders and say you will uh, let me do what I want to do he asked would you please let me be tested what he's really saying is let my God be tested as I obey my God let him be tested and when we do that those seven things we talked about today, God, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of what you do in our lives. The favor, Lord, the victory, God, the charging us up in our spirit that we feel like we can storm the gates of hell with a water gun. I mean, we're Lord, that you just set our minds so strong towards a fight that, Lord, we'd take a bullet for our brother and sister in Christ because we have totally sold out to your kingdom. It's all you. It's all about you. We thank you and praise you, Lord. We thank you for the young people that you're raising up in this church who are stepping out in boldness, Lord, and coming to your altars and worshiping you, God, who are stepping out to, to reach others for Christ in their schools. God, we thank you that, Lord, you're 
giving the boldness. Lord, we pray for the operation of your gifts, that, Lord, not for the purpose of a, of, of a worship service we can go home and, and brag about to our other friends about our church, God, but the fact of the matter is that what it produces from the Acts account, Lord, that, that we'd go out with boldness and we'd win the lost, and, Lord, you'd add to our numbers daily, not for the purpose of building a name for a church, but the purpose of, uh, of lives being changed, that no longer are they headed for hell, God, but they're headed for eternal glory. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the relationship, Lord, the covenant you've offered us, the communion we get to have with you daily, Lord, that we get to fellowship and communion with you, that we don't have to have a priest go into the Holy of Holies for us any longer, God. We don't have to offer an animal sacrifice, but we simply can come to you humbly and say, Lord God, I'm here, your, your child. Not only do I need your help, I want to thank you. I want to praise you for what you've done in my life. And God, I want you to use me as a vessel that not one would perish. That God, you would speak through me with supernatural ways, God, that your Holy Spirit would, would speak through my, my mouth, Lord, and use me. That marriages would be restored. Wayward sons and daughters would come back to relationship with you, God. Those with addictions, God, would be delivered immediately, Lord, by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, God, that in the immediate, God, as we pray, they'd be delivered. That, God, the influencers of this community would come under uh, subject to your authority, God. That, Lord, that we would reach this community for Christ and become a place that is blessed with your favor because, Lord, your word is thriving and changing lives in this community. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I just one more thing. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning and you need to make either a recommitment to Christ or you need to make, make a first-time commitment to Christ, I don't... I don't want to leave this place until you've had that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you want Him to be your Lord and Savior, you no longer want to try to do things on your own or try to wear the name of Christianity without having a relationship, real relationship that wakes you up in the morning, that you want to have conversation with Him, that you want to praise Him. If you want that, if you're hungry for that, I want you to raise your hand. pray that we all have made that decision. Jesus, as we go, keep them safe. Draw us closer together and closer to you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Love you guys, and um, thank you for being here.